Well, I'm excited to be back preaching today, and uh, the title of my message is called Spot the Difference. Spot the Difference. And now you might be thinking, oh, what's this about? I don't know if you've ever, as a kid maybe, you had those, I remember having challenges in the newspaper where they had Spot the Difference challenges. Or you might have seen them on Facebook now where you've got two pictures that look exactly the same, yet there's like eight, dif- eight differences in the photos. You guys know what I'm talking about? If you don't, like, it's, one, it's something like this, right? Like, uh, let's have a look. Just bring those lights down. Something like this, you know what I mean? Like, there's two photos that look exactly the same, but they're different. Let's just, uh, can we bring this down? Oh, sorry. What did I touch? Don't let me touch the lights. So, can we see some differences here? What, what can you see? Yell out what you can see. No one can see anything. The strawberries opposite, the colour of the, the holders of the curtains, the railings up the top. Some of you are like, what is he on about? So let's go to the next. So it looks the same, right? But there's a difference. Let's go to the next one. These are the actual differences in this photo. There's the table, the flower pot, these edges, the strawberries are different, uh, the curtain railings, the, the, the hooks at the top. So the, the things look the same. But they're different. And uh, as I was preparing this message, I think many of us in church, we might all look the same this morning. We're all in church. We're all Christians. We're all believers following after God. But the, the, and, and I know sometimes when we hear the word different, we're like Christians. We should be different than the world. And that's true. But that's not what I'm talking about today. What I'm talking about today is... I think our lives as believers, there shouldn't be any difference with what we say and what we do. I think some Christians can fall into the mindset or or the zone of of, uh, living their lives where they come to church and they say that they're a believer, but nothing during the week suggests to what they say. Nothing of what they do lines up with what they've said about themselves and what they do on a Sunday. I think for some of us, there's this big difference. You say one thing and you do another. I, I should give you a pre one. Just put your seatbelt on today. Things could get a bit uncomfortable, a bit rough, but that's all good. The, some, for some of you in this room, and just look straight ahead. Maybe I'm talking to you this morning. I don't know. But the only difference you have with a non-believer is that you spend two out of your 168 hours a week at church on a Sunday. And there's nothing else different to your life than the two hours you spend here on a church on Sunday. And I want to encourage you, there's got to be more about being a Christian than just attending church each Sunday. There's more to the Christian life. There's more to being a follower of Jesus. There's more to being a true disciple of God than just coming to church on a Sunday. And in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus addresses, in the middle of his Sermon on the Mount, his most famous sermon, He addresses this issue of what it means to be a true disciple. He says, this is how you'll know who are my true disciples. He says this in Matthew 7, verse 21 to 23. He says, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. We prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. 
But Jesus says, he will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Really, the goal of my message today is to encourage but also warn you, don't be a Christian whose words are superficial. Don't be a believer, a disciple of Jesus whose words don't mean anything, whose words are superficial, where you say one thing and do another. Don't, what do I mean by this? Words are superficial. Maybe you're saying you're a Christian and you come to church, but your mind and your heart is elsewhere. And this warning that Jesus gives applies to those of us who say, Lord, Lord, and yet you're, are you ready for this? Your spiritual life has nothing to do with your daily life. So this warning that Jesus gives is for those of us who cry out to him in one sense, but our spiritual walk has nothing to do with our day-to-day life. You come to church maybe to perhaps fulfill some religious duty. Uh, you, you were told as a youngster you need to go to church and you kind of tick it off your, uh, a box of a checklist of to do each week. Yet your week is full of sin against God just like any other person would. One biblical scholar commentating on this passage said it like this. He said, there are those that speak like angels yet live like devils. This is resonating with you. Just look straight ahead this morning, okay? This is an encouragement and a warning. And what am I saying here? Am I saying that as a Christian, you have to be perfect? That a true disciple of Jesus has to have no sin and be with no fault and never make a mistake? Do you think that's what I'm saying here? No? Yes? No? No. I'm not talking here about perfection The Bible never talks about us being able to attain perfection in our own ways. If we could, we we could go back to the law and we wouldn't need Jesus to come. God knew that we could not attain perfection by ourselves. So he sent Jesus to die on a cross for us to take away our sin and to give us his righteousness. So that means we can stand before God. And when he sees us, if we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, he sees Jesus' righteousness instead of our own sin. So I'm not talking about being perfect. The, 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 the Bible isn't some sort of rule-following textbook that you need to score 100% on your test, otherwise you fail. No, 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 that's religion and that's the law. But what I am saying is, if your heart is far from God, if what you're saying and how you're living are two different things, then unfortunately there's trouble ahead. So I want to ask you the question this morning. Can you spot a difference in your own life? Can you spot a difference with what you say and how you live? And the goal for us this morning is to not let there be a difference between what you say and how you live. My encouragement this morning is to be a Christian who follows God's will for your life. That is what a true disciple is. Matthew 7 verse 21 said, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. I think we can gloss over this scripture very easily. We gloss over because it's uncomfortable, right? We don't want to think about this. Am I actually doing God's will? The Bible says, Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. So this begs the question, what is 
God's will for your life? What is God's will for my life? I think that's the natural question. What is God's will for my life? And in this sermon in Matthew 7, and in other stories, Jesus rebuked religious leaders for failing to do the will of God. He, he called them out for it. He said, there's no point. And so I, I would love to be doing that this morning. That's why I'm sharing this message. I could share a message where this is going to be your year, you're going to be blessed. But Gibson already told you you're blessed. Right? We're already blessed. I could just make you feel great and say, oh, I'm just puff you up. You, you are enough. Actually, we're not enough. We, we need Jesus, right? But we need to do His will for our lives if we want to please Him. We can't say one thing and do another. So at its most basic, the will of God is this. Firstly, it's to repent of your sin and place your trust and faith in Christ. That is God's will for our lives. That is it. Repent and turn from your sin and place your faith in Christ. In Christ, Matthew 21, verse 32. If you haven't taken that step of faith and that you haven't taken that first step and accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can't be in God's will. That is the first step to do is to repent and turn from your ways and invite Jesus to be Lord and Savior. The great news, everyone, is if you haven't done that, if you have never made that decision, at the end of the service, I'll give you an opportunity to invite Jesus into your life. So don't stress if you're, oh, that's me. Oh, that's, he's talking to me right now. Okay, you'll have an opportunity. And I hope and pray that you would open up your heart to receive Christ as your Lord this morning. At its most basic, the will of God is to give thanks in all circumstances. 1, Thess- 1 Thessalonians 5 says, this is the will of God for your life. To give thanks in all circumstances, no matter what's going on. Whether good, whether bad, whether healthy, whether sick. The Bible says that we should give thanks in all circumstances. The Bible then says to do good works. This is the will of God. Now, good works don't affect our salvation. We don't do good works to be saved. But the Bible is very clear that good works should be an overflow of your salvation. It's an overflow of the love that you've received that you would go and do good works for others. At its most basic, the will of God is to be sanctified and avoid sexual immorality. I think many of us are like, yeah, God, I'll come to church on Sundays, but okay, my money, my sex life, my this and that, that's mine. I'll look after that. So I'll surrender my Sunday for two hours to you. But actually, those personal things, they're mine. And and I'm not surrendering them at all. And we might not actively say that, but with how we make our lives falling into sin and falling into... Uh, are saying yes to temptation, right? Those urges and those desires, they're good. God created us as sexual beings. There's nothing wrong with sex and there's nothing wrong with that, but it has to be in the confines of marriage to be blessed and anointed by God. And so for many of us, uh, we, we, we say we're in God's will, we want to follow God's will, yet we're uh, saying one thing and doing another. So at its most basic, God's will is to be sanctified. What is sanctity? It's It's this uh, journey of sanctification, this journey of becoming more like Christ. Again, not perfect, but becoming sanctified. God's will is a full commitment to Him. A full commitment to Him. Again, not perfection, but a desperation and a commitment and a, 
and a hunger and a diligence to give everything you have to God. I think we miss the point of this when we sometimes look for guidance in some areas of our life. But like I said, the other areas, we, we, we keep separate from God. But God wants a full commitment to Him. We don't just ask God for help. Oh, just Lord, bless my business. Yet we have shoddy business practices and unintegrous living and bad business dealings. But we're like, God, bless my business. No, He wants every part of our hearts and every part of our lives. And God's will is that we wouldn't conform to the pattern of this world. I think this is huge. Don't be a believer who conforms to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In Romans 12, this is what it says. Don't conform, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing and perfect will. This passage gives us this idea of what this formula, essentially, or this sequence of what we're supposed to do. A true disciple should refuse to be conformed to the pattern of the world. A true disciple should instead allow themselves to be transformed by the Holy Spirit. And as our minds are renewed, essentially, what does that mean? As we surrender our mind and our thoughts to God, we can then start to know God's perfect will for our lives. But many of us don't want to do the surrendering. We want to know the ending, but we don't want to do the start bit. We don't want to invite Jesus into every part of our lives. We don't want to invite him in and surrender. Like As your character grows, really character just means that it's an, a yielded area of your life to God. Many of us don't have character in our, in our thought life. Why? Because we haven't surrendered our mind and our thinking to God. Some of you might be like, well, I, I, I'm struggling in this area. Have you surrendered, yielded that tough? You're saying, God, take that from me and, and help me in this area. You know, I, I think His will, sometimes we call it His purpose for our life, right? They're, these two terms are essentially interchangeable, God's will and His purpose for my life. And you might be saying, well, that's pretty generic, this, uh, this God's will. That's, that's generic. What about my purpose and my calling. I believe that God's purpose and calling will be birthed out of us abiding by this in our lives. This might seem quite simple. You're like, well, that's pretty simple. What's the, what's the purpose of my life? Many times we don't want to do the simple things, yet we want the more complex things of God. But to be advanced as a Christian, to be a true disciple, you must do the basic things well. Many of us don't want to do the basics well. And I think sometimes the most basic things are the hardest to do, right? Like read your Bible. Oh, I want to read my Bible. But oh, Netflix has got this new show on. Oh, oh, but I just need to see what's happening in WhatsApp stories. Oh, I just want to check this out. Oh, I'm just so uh, tired. Right? We just want to do these basic things, yet they become so difficult. Many times we're trying to over-spiritualize things in our lives. We want the deep things of God. Yet we're not willing to do these basic things to adhere to God's will. So it's, again, I said seatbelts on this morning, people. You know, I think sometimes it's difficult to follow God's will, but it requires patience. 
Don't rush the things of God and try and make things happen yourself. I remember, I shared this in the first service, I remember as a young believer, as a young Christian coming to church and they would give me the microphone to run games at youth. And I loved running games and I was the hype man and I was uh, doing all these things and sometimes I'd get the opportunity to kind of uh, uh, do a welcome or prayer request or something like that in the youth ministry and everyone would say, oh, you speak so well, or you speak so good and I was starting to get, uh, what do they call it, what's it called? Pride, you know that thing, pride, was starting to rise up a bit. I was like, I could speak, I, I could share on uh, stage, I could share a sermon. And not once in my whole time in youth ministry did I get asked to preach a sermon. Oh, so offended. Even this one week where they got all the leaders and there were six different leaders on stage. And not, I wasn't in there. <laughs> but I could speak so well, I was so gifted on the microphone. Some of you, this is resonating with you far too much. They just had four speakers or six speakers on that preaching series and I didn't get asked. It's okay. I don't know who sounds like that. I'm just making it up, right? But uh, I, I remember just feeling so, oh, I just, and at that moment I was like, I thought, oh, I could go to another church and I could get an opportunity there. And if I went to that church, they could use someone like me, pride, Right? And you're acting like you've never thought like this before. This is some guilty laughter and guilty silence in this place this morning. Right? Who thought, oh, I could be used more? But I remember thinking at that time, if I had tried to rush things and, and, and seek after an opportunity, my character was not in a place to sustain what I wanted to do myself. Yes, God was preparing me and helping me. But if I'd have gone somewhere too early and too fast... My character wouldn't have been able to sustain it. I would have crumbled and fooled and, make a, and made a majorly bad decision for my life. But I'm so glad that I trusted in God and I said, Lord, I give you that area of my life and I surrender to your will and I, and I prayed, Lord, help me. I give this over to you. And then later in time, then we ask, hey, how would you feel about moving to Zambia? One of the pastors on staff said, how would you feel about moving? And I said, oh, to help. I thought they wanted me to play drums or run a connect group or something like that. They're like, no, to lead the church. Oh gosh. What? I'd never done anything like that. I hadn't even preached in the youth group. But I remember trusting in God in that moment. And it's all of those times I was in God's will for my life. Even though I didn't feel like I was being used enough. Even though I didn't feel like they were using my gifts enough. I was in the center of God's will. Pastor Lisa's the same. I remember uh, uh, working 20 years ago, working as a school teacher, doing physical education for grade one to grade seven. And she was uh, teaching the kids and training the kids. And she was working in the kids' church and then uh, pastorally caring for some of the youth girls. Never had a title, never had a position, just did what God was asking her to do. She might not have looked like it, but she was in the center of God's will for her life. Why? Because those very things she was doing as a sport teacher, she was learning how to teach kids and train kids and, and also running events, managing a budget, looking after a big uh, uh, 17 or 18 extra events, which is a lot what you do as now as a pastor is organizing things like sisterhood and the whole church and everything like that. She was loving on these kids, pastoring the youth, exactly what she does now, pastoring people, helping. So you might think, 
oh, but I'm not in God's will for my life right now. If you're following after God, if you're doing those things that are on the board, you're in the center of God's will for your life. You're in the perfect place. Even if you're not getting used or at your full potential, trust that you're in God's will. Don't push for something that's not happening right now. Don't seek after an opportunity. Don't go after opportunities. The grass is not greener on the other side. The grass is green where you water it. So start working on those internal things in your life which you haven't surrendered to God. That's God's will for your life. Some of you are thinking, ah, but just tell me I'm going to do something great. You might. You very well might. And I believe for it in Jesus' name at the right time and when God wills it. Until then, you just keep saying, yes, God, I'll do what you've placed in my hand. It's natural for us to want to know these things, but God says this. The key is wanting God's will, not our own will. I said this in the first service. Oh, I'm going to go there again. Some of us want to do our own will. And what we do is to try and get people on board, we just say, God told me. Right? Oh, this is what I want to do. Oh, God told me I should be doing this. And people come to me saying, God told me this. And if I don't agree with it, I'm in a tough place because I'm not God. How am I supposed to counter that if I don't agree, if God told you that's what you're supposed to do? So I would be very cautious in saying, God told me. How I would flip that on the other side is, this is what I feel like God is saying. What do you think? Because what that means is you're actually going to someone for advice. You're actually going to your leader or your connect group leader or your pastor, Pastor Lisa and I. You're going to someone saying, this is what I'm feeling. What do you think? Many times people come and book an appointment with me and they're trying to convince me of what they already want to do without giving me an opportunity to respond. And they just put God on top of it. It's like a little package that they've wrapped themselves, their own will, and they just go, God, God told me, look at the bow. God told me. And I'm like, well, what, what am I supposed to do with that? So let's avoid saying, this is God's will for my life. God told me. Say, this is what I'm feeling. What do you think? It defies the purpose of going for a catch-up with someone and asking their advice if you're already telling them what you're going to do. You're not then asking for advice. You just want people to agree with you and make you feel good. I think I need to get off... All right. Some of you are like, when is this preaching finishing? All right. Point number two is spot the differences about a real relationship with Jesus. I'm not going to go too much longer. We're going to rush, rush through this. Matthew 7 verse 22 said, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. That's what Jesus will say. I feel like I need to share this to some of the uh, papas around. You might cast out demons and prophesy and do many wonders. But if you don't have true fellowship and connection with Jesus, even if you did these things in his name, you never had a, really, a, a real relationship and fellowship with Jesus, they don't mean nothing. Doesn't mean anything. Prophesying and... All of these things, yeah, they can be good if you're in a relationship with Jesus, if you're surrendered to Him. But if you're just doing them to 
puff up knowledge to look good, to make some money. I don't know what you're trying to do. But if it's not based in a real relationship with Jesus, then I don't know. So it's not about all of these flashy spiritual things. It's about a heart connection to Jesus. I told you it was going to get real this morning. And can I just apologize? The aircon is still broken. I'm up here sweltering. I don't know how you guys are going. It's hot, eh? Quapia. Ah, see, I'm learning. I'm learning. Don't worry. Don't worry. It's hot. So we apologize for the aircon's not working. Everyone. I can just see all the uh, offering slips. Whew. So hopefully it's getting fixed, but we don't have any control over it. So it's all good. All good. But it's all about a real relationship with Jesus. Because you can say one thing and do another and not be surrendered to Jesus at all and have no relationship with Him. So I want to ask you the question, how's your relationship with Jesus? Have you surrendered your life to Him fully? Are you living close to Him every day? Now again, I want to reiterate, I'm not talking about perfection Because even if we make a mistake, He's close by if we come back to Him. If we repent and turn to Him, He's right there close to us. And He's ready to forgive us. So are you living close to Him every day? Are you abiding in Him and doing His will? I want to encourage you to look at the life you're living. Let your life and your character be something that you're known by. Ishmael tells the story about when he went on a trip with all of his colleagues and they went somewhere and they were going around, what should we do for lunch? And they were going around, oh, yeah, oh, they saw this one guy. They're like, oh, yeah, there's a nice bar down here and we could go there and drink. And, oh, there's a nice this. And then they came to Ishmael. They're like, oh, uh, there's a nice church we could visit. Because they knew he was a believer. They knew that what he said and how he lived matched up. Again, Ishmael's not perfect. We all know that. We all know he's not perfect. He's in the. He thought I was going to say something great. <laughs> and we can ask Lynette. We can ask his wife. We know he's not perfect, right? No, but he's surrendered, and what he says and what he does, there's no difference. He he follows his conviction. None of us are perfect. I'm not perfect. Pastor Lisa's not perfect. No one's perfect. So we're not after perfection. But we're after a real relationship with Him. We want to be an example worth following. So the question is, are you an example as a believer of a life worth following? Or are you making the gospel look fake by saying one thing and doing another? Come on. What do you do or say when no one is watching? What you do in public should be the same as in private. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm happy because uh, where Lisa and I stay, our, our nanny of the girls, she comes to church and another one of the workers comes to church here. And they see us, what we're like at home. And I pray, my hope and prayer is, what they see here on stage is the same as what they see on a Monday morning. And I hope and pray that they don't see something different. And you can ask them if you want, if you know who they are, you can ask them if you want the inside detail, but I hope and pray that what I'm like at home is the same as what I am here. That I'm not putting on some act to you and then at home I'm different. And we should all be like that. What you do in public should be the same as in private. Do you think your life right now is pleasing 
to God. And if it's not, are you quick to seek the forgiveness and display repentance by by making significant changes? It's one thing to say sorry to God, but repentance literally means to turn around in the opposite direction. Sorry is, oh, I'm sorry. I'll try not to do that again. Repentance is, is, I am so grieved by what I've done. I'm so, not ashamed, but I'm so hurt by how I've hurt Jesus that I'm willing to turn in the other direction and go this way after God and leave my old life behind. Some of us are playing like tag with our lives. Oh, yeah, I'm with Jesus now. But, oh, but the old life was so good. Oh, but I really want to follow after Jesus. Oh, but that life was so much fun. Oh, but Jesus is good. Guess what we look like at work? Who is this person? What are they doing? And the thing is, I don't understand, and, and this is why I want to share this. I don't understand why you would want to do that. Why would anyone want to live like that? Why would you want to live Say one thing and do another. It's like we've been trying to do this past six when I'm trying to get on the exercise journey in 2024. And uh, I know there's a few of my brothers and sisters out there who are doing the same. I've seen the stories on WhatsApp, right? I've seen the 7Ks and I've seen it all, right? That's good. But could you imagine doing the, the, the exercise journey? I'm committing to this. And then it's like, oh, yeah, but I just love the chocolate. Oh, I just love the cake. I love this and I love that. But I'm trying to go after this exercise. But I just love this. You'd just be undoing all the hard work that you've just done. Yet, why would you do that? right? But why would we do that as Christians with our spiritual lives? Why say one thing and do another? It makes no sense. It's not going to get you ahead. I don't understand. And this is the thing. I'm saying this to myself. Why are you still like that? Why can't you just surrender that to Jesus? I'm saying this to myself, right? All of us need to be like that. So we need to be careful that we're not saying one thing and doing another. And as I come to the very end, my last point is this, is if you choose to follow God's will for your life, if you're a person in this place and you're coming to church, you're saying, Pastor Sam, this is me in 2024. I'm going after God's will. I'm doing these basic things. I'm going to surrender my life to Jesus. Now, the only problem with that is I can't guarantee that life is going to be smooth sailing. I can't say that, yeah, okay, great, perfect. You're going to be so blessed. You're going to be so anointed. You're going to be this. I pray that that does happen. But many times following Jesus is costly. It's sacrificial. It's hard. It's not easy to navigate. Nowhere in Scripture does it say when you repent to God, the Christian life is going to be easy to navigate with no problems. It doesn't say that. What, do we, what does it say here? In Matthew 7, a few verses before this, before the main text that we've been looking at, it says you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell or the road that leads to destruction is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. In another scripture in Matthew 14, it tells that Jesus went to a place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, sorry, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, they saw a great multitude. He saw a great multitude, sorry, and he was moved with compassion and healed the sick. 
When you commit to follow Jesus and do His will, church, it can be costly. You might lose some friends along the way. You might lose some friendships who you've known since school years, yet they're just going in a different direction than you. It might be giving up that job which is going to take you out of church, which is the place where you've got healing and wholeness, which this job is paying you more money, but it's going to take you out of the very place where God has placed you. That's costly. It might mean giving up things uh, that seemed so enticing and, and good, but you know that it's not good for your character and your soul. These people who followed Jesus, it wasn't easy. Israel was a rugged terrain. Walking with sandals and across a harsh, harsh terrain, it's hard. I just want to show you two pictures. The first, when we say following God's will, some of you will think, oh, following Jesus is easy. He's going to make my path straight and perfect. We think it looks like this. You think, oh, following Jesus is just going to be so beautiful. Oh, it's going to be so easy. Oh, there's going to be birds chirping and light piercing through the, the, uh, the trees. And oh, the, the smell of the fresh air is going to be so good. I'm going to have no dramas. My life will be great. No issues. Jesus is in control. I don't have any responsibility. But the reality of life, and we talked about it at Christmas last year, if you were here, following Jesus and His will, sometimes things don't always go as planned. I think following Jesus can look, instead of this, it can look a bit more like this. This is how the Israelites followed Jesus in the New Testament. Israel was a rugged terrain. It was difficult. It was hard. Sometimes following Jesus leads you into a deserted place. Maybe it's into the desert, into wilderness, into a time of barrenness where you don't have a time where you uh, had all the friends and the joy and the laughter that you had when you before you were saved. But let me tell you, the ultimate goal of heaven, the ultimate goal of eternal life is so worth it. If you'll accept Jesus, if you'll open up your heart to Him, Yes, it might be costly, but you will gain everything. You will gain everything. Any momentary bit, oh yeah, if I just uh, go down this way and, and, and give Jesus up for a bit, it will be all worth it. No, nothing is worth giving up for your salvation. Even though life is tough, I want to let you know, for the Christian, if you have Jesus, you have enough. If you're following after His will and you've got Him, You've got enough. Even through the rugged terrain, He will protect you. He will guide you. He will be there for you in Jesus' mighty name. Can I get an amen?